This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to listen in on an African American Ministries of the PCA panel discussion with Reverend Charles McKnight, Kelly Brown, Dr. Suzanne Bates, Reverend Albert McGowan, Y. Plummer, and Oliver Tremue as they celebrate the pioneering work of black men and women in the PCA. During the discussion, you'll hear stories of some of the first African-American teaching elders and ministry leaders, and also some of the current trailblazers in gospel ministry. Reverend Charles McKnight is the coordinator of the African-American ministries in the PCA. Kelly Brown serves as operations coordinator for the ministry. Dr. Suzanne Bates is the assistant professor of counseling at Covenant Seminary and staff counselor at New City Fellowship in St. Louis. Reverend Albert McGowan is a former RUF pastor at Jackson State and current pastor at Redeemer Jackson. Y. Plummer is the former coordinator of African American Ministries and currently serves as a cross-cultural consultant for Mission to North America. And finally, Oliver Tremue is a ruling elder at New City Fellowship in Chattanooga and former professor Covenant College. This episode was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2023 General Assembly. Let's listen in as the panel celebrates the work of our black brothers and sisters and share stories and encouragement. So again, my name is Kelly Brown. I'm moderating our panel today and uh, just super honored to have these four folks um, that are people I revere. Um, These are our elders our mothers, our fathers, our sisters and brothers, and I can call all of them friend also. And one of them is family, if y'all don't know. Suzanne is my first cousin, more like my big sister. She is my spiritual mother. And if I've ever given you a problem in this denomination, blame her because I followed her in. So we're going to get through a couple of questions for them, and then we're going to open it up for questions if you guys have any. The first thing I'd like to ask uh, our distinguished panelists is, you know, as you guys have done your work and been firsts in these areas of ministry and education and um, other areas of the PCA, I'd love to hear from each one of you about what you've seen over the years, what you've experienced, the good and the bad, but particularly as pioneers in those areas, what was that like for you? And we'll start with Suzanne, because the mic is right by you. I always like to tag team on people. Okay, I guess I'm on. Yep. You can hear me fine. 
Oh my goodness. Well, I came into the PCA um, back in the 80s when, yes, there were not many of us there. And in, for, in fact, I was the first African-American member of the PCA church that I joined down in Valdosta, Georgia. And I remember talking to the Lord about it. When he said it was time for me to join that church, I thought, you've got to be kidding, right? <laughs> There's not a black face in the place. And truly, back then, they used to call Presbyterians the frozen chosen. That's what worship was like. I was thinking, okay, there's a lot of reverence, but I don't know about the joy. And I had a really hard time seeing that um, evident in the traditional Sunday worship service. Um, I did see it evident in the lives of those who attended the church. And actually, what drew me in was watching a colleague of mine live out the gospel. Hmm. She lived out the word of God. She walked it. She talked it. She interacted with students. I worked at a university at that time um, in Georgia. And she would interact with the students and make decisions around the word of God. I had never actually seen that lived out in that way. The gospel lived out in that way. And I remember when I got to Valdosta, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri, but when I got to that part of Georgia, I remember talking to the Lord about just where he would have me be in a church, and um, I really wanted to see people living out the gospel, a tangible expression of Jesus. And this woman, this wonderful woman of God, this beautiful creation of God, lived in that way. And I just watched her, and I studied her, and I watched the students that were interacting with her. And I thought, that's what I'm interested in, Jesus. So it was a miracle of God that he took me into that church, that PCA church. I had a sibling who was actually in that part of Georgia attending a Um, USA Church, and it was like night and day in terms of the worship. I went with her because she was my sister and invited me, but I found myself thirsting for that which I saw in the PCA Church, and so that is really my entrance into that season and that time, and it was wonderful. It was also scary because I was, I am, a single black mom, At that time, my children were very young, and I thought, what am I doing, Jesus, coming to this all-white church as a single black mom? Mm -hmm. I don't want to become a project. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be treated as a disease, like, oh, we can't really get to know her and draw near to her because she's the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And so all of these fears were there for me, but I have to tell you, God did an incredible work in that place in bringing me into the PCA space and welcoming me there. And I have so much more I can add to that, but I think I'll just start with that entrance and and how God worked mightily. It had its challenges, of course. I had to work through my own demons of what I believed the other, my other, would think of me in that context. And I had to be willing to engage the other in the places where they had their demons about me. 
But mm -hmm. God did an incredible and profound work into that. I'm for that, I'm eternally grateful. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so as, you want to repeat that as a pioneer, yes, as a pioneer, what, what did you see, what did you experience being the first black RUF uh, campus minister? Okay, um, so my, my journey was similar but a bit different. Um, when my wife and I moved, uh, our church was being planted. Uh-oh, closer. Our multi-ethnic church was being planted, and so I looked up on day one, and just saw brothers and sisters who looked like me, who loved Jesus, and who were also new to the PCA. And so I stand on the shoulders of you, sister, and mm -hmm. other brothers and sisters who went along before us. Um, but once we got to seminary, we had no idea what we were going to do. And um, we wrestled with what's next. And the thing that I remember most about being the first um, to, do, to do the work of RUF at a HBCU, it, it really was God's faithfulness. Mm. Um, our sense of call was really muddy. Um, we were actually at a church planting meeting to plant a church in West Jackson, and it was in that church planting meeting that someone stood up and says, why don't we uh, consider RUF at Jackson State University? And my wife and I both went to our uh, HBCUs, and so we had no idea what RUF was. We didn't know what the PCA was. <laughs> it, 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 everything was new, um, but by God's grace, there's a man in here. Where's Tim Udage? I know I saw you, Tim. So Tim was actually uh, a dear friend of mine, and he was doing RUF, and my, my first experience with RUF was through him. <clears throat> And so when I began to hear about RUF in that meeting, all I began to think about is I get to do what Tim is doing, right? Pastoring campus, pastoring students on a campus. And so the way that God put Tim in my life uh, to give me a framework for RUF, uh, the way that God put a multi-ethnic church with a faithful, godly, African-American pastor that loved me really, really well, um, the community that God built at Redeemer, where the church was ripe to be stretched and to welcome our students to God's faithfulness in our own story, to put us in Jackson at a time like that. Amen. To um, man, I was so intimidated about raising money. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, that's, a, that's a different seminar, bro. <laughs> Go ahead, though. I, Tell him. I, I, I just remember when uh, Bebo said, hey, put together a list of potential donors. <laughs> 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 and and I, I, I got him 15. And he's like, that's all you got? I said, that's all I got, right? And, um, and realizing that we have to raise support. And then thinking over nine years that God raised, mm. that God gave over $1.5 million dollars wow. to the work, mm. to keep uh, the work going, Amen. to um, just the elasticity of the local church, mm. where, um, man, God just, he went before us and did it. I mean, we had men discipling 
some of our young men. We had women in our church that were eager to do a Sunday school just for our students. Um, I mean, our students were the amen corner. I mean, just, it was absolutely beautiful. And it was all God, right? Like God just called us, saved us, planted the church, raised the money, gave us students to pastor, gave us favor on campus with administration. I mean, every step of the way, God himself was faithful. And so I think that's what, that's what I remember most about being a first. It was God was going before me. Like he was the first, right? He was kind of paving a way for us to do ministry and serve him. So these two gentlemen on the end have seen and could write much of the history of the PCA and have seen all kinds of firsts. So you, why, Plummer, what in your experience, we could put you in the first of many different things, but what's been your experiences? Well, I came into the, um, I came into the PCA in 1981 uh, as a brand new believer. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know what it was, and uh, it was actually the RPCES um, that I came into in Reston, Virginia. I was a brand new believer. I was led to Christ by Ruling Ellen in, the, in, the, in one of those churches who said, you need to go to a, a good Reformed church. I had no idea what he was talking about. Went to Reston Presbyterian Church. I can still remember where it was sitting that first Sunday, all-white congregation. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? <laughs> It was in that church that I was led to remarry my wife, uh, who I was just divorced from, but God brought us back together in 1982. And I can still remember where I was sitting when I heard about this thing called the joining and receiving. When the RPCES came into the PC, I had no idea what that meant. But everybody was excited about it. I said, okay. And then I wondered, I began to wonder, are there any other black people in this place, in this denomination? And in 1984, I saw a picture of a guy named Carl Ellis. And I said, I got to meet him. And he was coming to Baltimore. And I I was determined I was going to meet Carl Ellis. And Carl Ellis basically mentored me through various stages of being in this denomination um, I was finally led to quit my job at IBM and go into full-time ministry. I went to Chesapeake Theological Seminary and was led to pastor an inner city church uh, in West Baltimore. After a few years of that, he led me uh, to become uh, the coordinator of African American Ministries. Uh, we were, I was called the African American Movement Leader in, in 2000. And I can remember still thinking... Who's out there? (laughs) Who are the African-Americans? Other than the few that I knew, I had this incredible job of trying to lead African-Americans. And I can remember still putting together a a, a statement and listing those who were in there. And in 2000, this was the list. I know you can't see it, but it's basically 23 that are on this list, uh, many of whom are still with us. And many years later, in in 2000, 22, I had to change the font. It went from 23 to 65 in 2022. 
And, and my pleasure has been to, to see many, uh, many of the first, mm-hmm. to, to, to see people who are, I, I was at, I, I made it a practice of going to the ordinations of, of many of the teaching elders, and so I was at Elbert's ordination. I was at Suzanne Bates' examination at Covenant, Covenant uh, Seminary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Anthony Bradley, Dr. Anthony Bradley, was also one of the first uh, African-American uh, professor uh, at uh, Covenant uh, Theological Seminary. Uh, I saw a lot of firsts, and I, was, I tried to make it a practice of, of attending the ordinations. And I was, I was at your ordination, Charles <laughs> McKnight, and it, it's been a pleasure to see the first of many and to mm-hmm. see this ministry grow and develop into what it is today and to be able to hand it off to the next coordinator. Amen. 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 Kelly is right about uh, our history. For me, my history is too long to possibly tell you uh, about things. So I'm going to do it pretty quickly here. Um, You saw the picture of Joan Neighbors uh, in the presentation. Joan and I uh, and a few other black students in 1968. Uh, She was in 67. She She came in 67. I came in 68. To this school on top of Lookout Mountain, which I thought was in Tennessee, but actually it's in Georgia. Uh, we came from Newark, New Jersey. Mm. That's where I was born and raised. Wow. Uh, and all of us came there. About a handful of us, black students, uh, uh, came there. Uh, some of us played basketball. I tried uh, here. Uh, but I had other things in my mind uh, at the time. But we, did, we lived that life of being the first and only black students in a predominantly white school in what was then, of course, the uh, Reformed and Evangelical Presbyterian ch- uh, school. That's what Covenant was at the time. So this was 1960, so the, you know, the PCA wasn't, wasn't there yet uh, here. And that was an interesting time for us uh, here. Um, I think I learned a lot of things. Uh, I had already a pretty solid evangelical commitment, and over that period of time, I learned about the Reformed faith even more. Uh, so um, both its pluses and its minuses uh, in terms of how people, what they said and what they actually did and believed uh, here, which was, which was an eye-opening event for me uh, there. That was, we're talking about the 1960s, folks, so mm-hmm. you, you know there was a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. at that particular time, and uh, I, began to, I began to realize, you know, uh, I thought we were all friends in Jesus, uh, yeah. but uh, I found out, no, not necessarily so. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So there were some interesting things that went on at that time, and um, I... So by the time I was a senior and graduated in 1972, I had made a couple of decisions. I wasn't going to go to Covenant Theological Seminary uh, here, uh, and and I wasn't going to go to Westminster. Those were the only two options at that time. But I knew I was going to go. Uh, I figured out that this kid from Newark had, you know, I was reasonably intelligent, and I had a future, and I was going to pursue that future in ministry and the academic life. I was always committed to ministry uh, here, uh, and I, fi- I figured out I could do some stuff. And so 
I left there, I went to a school called Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary uh, here uh, back during those days, and uh, I, I continued on that vein, but I had sort of lost interest in it because the Presbyterian world that I knew of at that time was, uh, was so predominantly white, uh, so I ended up in Baptist circles. I went to a historic Baptist church called 12th Baptist Church in, uh, in Boston under Michael Haynes, and I learned about black church life. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, during that time, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I, I I learned a lot uh, as a seminarian during that period of time. And even though I was reformed in that setting, and many of my professors and you know, Meredith Klein and other folks like that, I think they're kind of reformed uh, here. Elmer Smith, and maybe you know some of these names. All these all these people have passed on here now, but but that's where I got my initial education to reform faith. So. I wanted to continue on uh, in this setting, and I did in Chicago. I uh, met my wife there. The, the <laughs> excuse me. Well, yeah, I met my wife at seminary, and then we moved to Chicago. We had a family, but it was pretty much in all in in Black Baptist circles uh, here. And then as time went on, I wanted to go back to Reform circles uh, here and to Presbyterian circles. And I, tr- I hunted around at that particular time, and uh, things did not quite um, seem to work out completely uh, here until uh, later on I got a call from Covenant College, and they asked me to come back and teach because I was pursuing the academic life, and I was pursuing historical and, and New Testament studies and, and so forth. So in 1988, I came back uh, to Covenant, and uh, yes, I was the first black professor there. And... Uh, I realized that most of my students had never had a black teacher in any context mm, at all. Mm. Uh, and so I, I know eyes were on me, and uh, I could feel that. Mm. Don't mess up. Yeah. Don't do something stupid uh, here in this setting. And, you know, you live under that kind of setting here. Um, and so I, I did this, and I did it for 30 years. In the meantime, I had earlier since that time helped a, a, a guy, I don't know whether he's here or not, start a little Sunday school that uh, there in Chattanooga and uh, while we were students, and that Sunday school had now become a church called New City Fellowship. Well, my so, goodness. Uh, we, we, we started that little Sunday school up in an apartment and uh, just reaching out to the black community in that setting. And when we... When we uh, when I left and I went the academic route uh, here, I came back to it here, I came back to New City and, uh, and began teaching in that setting. What, what, I, what I yearned for uh, there was for those students to have a little better experience than I had uh, as a student there uh, with a little more people of color in responsible positions in that institution. And that's what I tried for m- I guess I would say for the, for the 25 years, first 25 years, and then I decided, you know what, I'm just going to be a professor and carry on. And, uh, and so I did for a number of years, working always with the church, pastoral care and counseling, and always in an academic life. So it's been a little different for me uh, in that setting uh, here. And uh, now I'm a chaplain for the Coast Guard. 
Life goes on. Amen. Amen. Keep the mic, um, Brother Oliver. Amen. I want to do two things before we keep going, and I want to set it up a little bit around what you just said. The first thing I want to do, if you are black and in the PCA and 40 years old or younger, I want you to stand up. Boy, sit down. Okay? And I want y'all to look around the room. This is your future, amen? Okay. Now, if you are under 20 years old, black or white, if you are under 20 years old, I want you to stand up. Trayson and Madison, where y'all at? Shipment children, stand up. Okay. In 50 years, most of us will not be here. These five folks that stood up, if they stay, that's our future. The group of men that stood up and women who stood up before them will be the folks sitting here. 50 years. I just want to put that into some perspective. Okay? Brother Tremue, you said you yearned for these students to have a little better experience than you did. And so as we go into our next group of questions, if you each could briefly talk about for the next 50 years in the PCA, what are you asking God to do? Well, uh, very briefly, I, uh, you know, we are about the gospel of Jesus and about his kingdom, period, uh, here. That is, that is our agenda uh, here. So um, all we want to do is, uh, at least in the PCA, I just want to see more creative, intelligent, gifted, committed people, particularly African-Americans, but all sorts of other folks, engaged in that activity in places where there is real need and brokenness, but also in places that you don't expect to see us there. Mm -hmm. In those, uh, you know, um, how I got over. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody ain't singing how I got over. Mm. You know, there's been some people who had a pretty good life uh, here, and they do all sorts of things, and they need to be in different sorts of places. Certainly in terms of hooking up with our brothers and sisters in the Caribbean and in Africa, I've had a chance to do that. Uh, here, there are so many resources out there that we can work together on, but we need opportunity mm -hmm. uh, here to do that. And I'm sorry to get political here, but we need the power and authority mm -hmm. to do these kinds of That's things right. with the financial backing to do them. That's what I would That's like it. to see happen. Amen. Amen. That's good. Amen. My experience. Um, in the PCA is that um, we have dealt with uh, majority uh, white churches uh, where there's, I used to call them my onesie twosies. I'd visit churches to fundraise and I would find the one or two African Americans 
that were in that church and I would try to connect with them. And even when we did multi-ethnic churches, the churches tended to be majority white churches. And so even there, we were 10, 20, even 30% at best. What I would love to see is a reversal of that. Mm. I would love to see a start black churches where African-Americans can feel that they are in their element, their home, and begin to see white people start to come to those churches yes. and reverse it <laughs> so that we begin to have a picture of what God intends, which is a multifaceted, multi-ethnic church in heaven mm. where there's all people, but where we can be who we really are and we don't have to become what we think we ought to be. Mm-hmm. So that's my dream for the future. Mm. Amen. That's a good word. Oh, man. Um, What am I praying on? That's a great question, Kelly. Um, I think right now, like the last probably month or so, um, just really convicted about the way that our churches maybe don't love well. Hmm. Um, And I'm just, you know, I I shared this with our people a couple weeks ago that occasionally I'll get stopped uh, by just random black folk in Jackson who I grew up with or just kind of know and they'll say hey man we hear great things about your church and I, I, I have a response like it, it is like it, it is from memory one it's not my church right this is Jesus' yeah. church uh, two I think our church is healthy and then three I don't think our church is perfect like no church Amen. Um, and I think we believe enough in, in justification and sanctification that we're fully loved and accepted and declared righteous by God through the finished work of Jesus, that that is a reality that we rest in and stand in. And at the same time, sanctification takes time. It's, it's, it's a work where we're working with God's strength that works mightily in us, that we are availing ourselves to the means of grace, that the Holy Spirit is changing us, and yet we're not home yet. And because we're not home yet and we're not glorified, parts of the old man and the old woman, it resides in all of us. Mm. And what I've seen from my vantage point as a senior pastor of an intentionally multi-ethnic church in the heart of Jackson, Mississippi, and this cuts across racial lines. It cuts across political lines. It cuts across socioeconomic lines. It's how thin our love is for one another. Mm. And we keep records of wrongs. We don't bear with one another. That we will quickly leave a church because someone offended us. Mm. And we don't repent and seek forgiveness and restoration. We, I mean, just, and so I think the thing that, that's been weighing on my heart the most and it, start, it starts with me and, and the tone that we set amongst our leaders is we just don't love like Jesus loves. And um, that's one of our apologetics, right? That's what Francis Schaeffer says, that the way that we love one another, it is an apologetic. Hmm. The world does watch how we feud and make up. And they're, they're, if they see what they see in the world, then Jesus does not look peculiar. His love does not look radical. It does Mm. not look 
tender and persevering. And so that, I've been feeling the heaviness of that, mm. having to uh, deal with it on both sides. Mm. Um, my mom would not mind me sharing this uh, because she stood up and shared it to our whole church. <laughs> you know, uh, during the election and the whole last presidency of Donald Trump, uh, my mom was really hurt as mm. a black woman. Mm -hmm. She was hurt because people that care for her went into crack houses to get my dad, or at least not directly, but tangentially cared about my family, that she witnessed firsthand just the way that some of those people kind of gave him carte blanche, right? Mm -hmm. And so my mom went the other way, where she just, she, she stopped coming to church. She stopped coming for two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she kept blaming it on COVID, and she kept blaming it. And finally, at dinner, Thanksgiving, I said, Mama, you're in sin. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not forgiving. You're forgetting what your first love is and who the first love is. And my mom actually had to go, and she came back to the church at a Thanksgiving service and, and publicly declared to the church that I was wrong. Mm. that I had made an idol out of my own views and I'm back, right? Mm. And so this cuts both ways. It ain't just white folk. Mm -hmm. It ain't mm -hmm. just black folk. I think the church as a whole needs to grow in the depth of our love for King Jesus. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to finish with this. You know, Paul says, I delivered unto you that which was of first importance, that Jesus Christ lived and that he died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised, mm -hmm. and that he appeared. Amen. That that is of first importance, saints. Like that right there. Mm -hmm. That is our unity. That is where we rally around. That is what we die for not for secondary things. And so th that's been my prayer, mm -hmm. is that starting with the pastor, that I would love the bride of Christ and the Messiah the way that he calls us to and the way that he models for us in the gospel. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's and beautiful. I will fully fund AAM, right? That's the, that, the, hey, that's the second, hey, hey, look, look, look. Charles, hey. Charles, Charles ain't paying me nothing. Nobody, look, I'm telling you, saints, like, I, if, if I were king for a day, AAM would be fully funny. Amen. Right. We receive that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And that can spread through the audience. Amen. And we want you to take Jesus and fund an AAM back to your churches and your presbyteries. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Well, I want to be mindful of the time. And um, as it is, everyone has already said much of what is my own prayer. Being at Covenant Seminary, another aspect of our denomination that we don't want to talk about because we fail in this loving way of emulating Christ, mm -hmm. is we don't want to talk about the other meaning women. And as a woman, the first African-American hire in a teaching role mm -hmm. at Covenant Seminary, 
I would love to see more women follow. And I would love to see um, them follow in a way that is with the confidence that comes Mm. in Christ Jesus. That they don't have to, one of the brothers up here said, um, being in a black church where we can feel like it's our own and we're part and being seen in spaces that would not be expected. I would love in 50 years that the expectation would be that you would see us. Amen. That there would be no surprise. Mm -hmm. That there would be no, what? I didn't know there was a black person here or a person of color here or a woman in this Mm -hmm. position. And I say that because I believe lacking in love, we are also driven by fear Mm. in this denomination. It was one of the first things that I identified when I came into the PCA, and I'm still here, and it's been many, 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 many years now, because I'm old. I'm not that young 40. But I can tell you, if we can ask the Lord to actually make us perfect in his love, that love diminishes and abolishes fear. The fear that takes hold of us and gets in the way of our capacity to welcome the other. And so what I would really love to see, I want to see more students at Covenant feeling like they belong there because they're seeing more people of color represented in faculty and staff. And I want to see them entering those spaces where they feel like they can actually have a voice. My concern when I started teaching at Covenant and when I started teaching in general is, you know, a lot of times, and, you know, don't get offended by my statement, but... White people don't want to sit at the feet of black people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a black PCA church where white members are coming, amen, to say, I want to sit at the feet of those whom God has called me to sit. Mm -hmm. And I want to be in the church which God has called me to serve. Mm -hmm. We do pick up our bags and move quickly. And we often do that when we're hurt or when we're feeling like we're not getting what we want out of a congregation Mm -hmm. and out of a teaching and a preaching. Instead of saying, Lord Jesus, where do you want me to be? And how do I join you in the work that you are doing? And sometimes he says, just be still and hang out there. That's what I had to do at that PCA church for a year. He said, don't get involved in anything for one year. Don't even sing. I was like, what? Don't sing? You know, that's what I do. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I can't even join the choir. And I was thinking, they really need, like, help, Jesus. (laughs) That's terrible. They were wonderful singers, though. I love the choir. But the truth of it is, is it took a year before God released me to do that. What we do in our pride and our arrogance and our belief that we know how to love and connect and engage better than the other is we, when we don't get what we want, we move away from one another. We move away from God. So what I want to see I want to see all the things that my brothers up here talked about, a firm commitment in the resurrection power of Christ Jesus to bring hearts and minds together for the sake of the gospel, that we are a unified church and still different because I don't want you to become black to connect with me. I want you to stay white or stay other, and I want to connect with you and you to connect with me on those terms and for us to enjoy the beautiful blessing that God has given to us to really reveal to the nations Mm -hmm. Jesus as Lord. That is my passion. Amen. Amen. Amen.
hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.